Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tian Wei. Agricultural cooperation between China and the United States has big potential. This opportunity is not lost on Cargill, one of the world's largest green dealers and private holding company. Recently, I had an interview with Cargill Asia-Pacific President Robert Esbell. He shared his hopes about stepping up cooperation between China and the U.S. toward a better business environment. Robert, good to see you. Good to see you as well. We see great momentum, particularly between China and the United States this time. Yeah, absolutely. What does that mean for an Ch- American global company? I think we see that very positive. Uh, we see a lot of uh, you know renewed cooperation around food and agriculture, and you know these two countries play a critical role in the global trade of food. It's very important for American farmers to have access to the Chinese market, which is the largest food market in the world and also the largest importer. And for you, which is participating mainly in the global value chain of processing, transportation, related to food industry, what does that mean to you? What do you hope to see? Well, we hope to see uh, more uh, definition around clarity about uh, the trading system that uh, both uh, countries, as we have seen many examples of in the last couple of days, both countries are uh, committed to continuing a very prosperous trade in terms of food and agriculture. Food and agriculture trade is one of the things that uh, is a very stable s- impact for the, the, the trade between China and uh, the United States. And of course, you have been working very closely with China for decades. You yourself in charge of uh, Cargill in Asia Pacific region. And how do you see uh, the momentum of economic growth uh, in this country? We, I mean, you know, the, the global economy, uh, the global growth is slowing down, uh, but there's still a lot going on in the food space. Uh, when it comes to China particularly, we know the GDP has been also decreasing, but it's still relatively robust. And in absolute terms, it's one of the largest in the world. So that's positive for food. Uh, what we also look in the China context in terms of uh, we look at other things as well. We look at urbanization rate, which is still growing and has a long way to go before it matures sometime you know, around 2035. We also look at uh, the middle class growth, which is still growing. So these are all positive signs for the food industry. We see uh, Cargill is building innovation center in China. So which part of innovation are you concentrating on? And how do you see China and even American companies together can work on innovation? Yes, well, we, the, the innovation center that we have is uh, first and foremost built uh, in China for China. We have our hands full with the Chinese consumer because the Chinese consumer is very demanding and is very agile and is looking always for new products, more functionality and now healthier products and now we're seeing more and more and more sustainable products. So it's getting quite complex so this is why we're putting additional resources in the the center. One thing that we do see which is very interesting uh, is uh, you know the innovation is now it used to be more out, uh, out of the region uh, and then we would bring innovation into the region and now we're seeing now this going the other way. So we have, a, you know, we have kind of a channels that are going both ways. So this is really Two promising. Two-way traffic. Two-way traffic and the, the consumer in Asia Pacific is also set, setting some global trends oh, that we need to understand and apply to food production. Like what? One, the one big one is uh, milk tea. Uh, which is uh, growing tremendously oh, fast. My producers love them. Yeah, 
And that has a big impact on yeah. our business. On our business, we, we provide some ingredients and we need to understand how the functionality, the taste, the health piece, so we're all improving on that. And we're seeing now milk tea starting to take off in other parts of the world as well. Yeah. Do you like it? I love milk tea. <laughs> <laughs> At least through try, right? Yes, for sure. <laughs> so the other thing is how technologies are also being innovated in this part of the world, such as Asia Pacific, and spread from here to the other parts. I think uh, technology will play a critical role in many parts of agriculture and food. One part we're very excited about is in sustainability. As you know, if we're going to live in a world that's uh, increasingly decarbonized, food and agriculture must play a critical role. We are working a lot with our key stakeholders, uh, customers, government on, on new technologies, new practices in the business. I could give you a couple of examples. Right now, it, you know, industry uh, is really focused on scope one, scope two, uh, CO2 reductions. This is something that's under our control, and we're making progress uh, as, uh, as, as Cargill in this respect and as an industry as well. A key challenge we have is on scope three, which is about, you know, which involves shipping products. And when we're talking about China being a large importer of food, there's a big shipping component to this. So a lot of new technology and alternative fuels being looked at. We're working hard on that. This is a time when a lot of new technologies are all happening at the same time. How would you make your choices? That's always the most crucial. Yeah, so it, it's difficult. Uh, so what we're trying to do is we're, we're, we're really focused on bringing those new technologies, uh, but that in a, on a net net overall basis is not a direct cost. Yeah. So this is the challenge that we have. We want to keep supply of food abundant. Mm -hmm. We want to keep it affordable, but we want to, we need to make it more sustainable. Mm -hmm. So how do we do all this without increasing the cost of food? Indeed. It's a major challenge for the industry, but we think if we work uh, in a private sector, public sector together with our customers, including consumers, mm -hmm. we think we can get there. Food security is one of the top priorities for the world leaders. Uh, I know for your company, of course, uh, that's at the top of the mind as well. Yes. So from a global company's perspective, a private a global company's perspective, how do you see you can contribute to the food security issue that we're talking about today? Yeah, so first and foremost is to, to be a, an active participant in, uh, in dialogue across uh, different countries to make sure that uh, we do talk about what is the reality of the food system. Mm. And then we are we're definitely, we need, we need a very uh, resilient uh, uh, trade system because you know, food moves around the world. Yes. As I mentioned, that brings another a challenge of sustainability. Mm -hmm. But we need a, a healthy global trade, trading system. So we as corporations uh, can continue as well to, we get signals mm -hmm. from the global trading system on investing in supply chains because you need to invest years ahead of time before the demand is created. So getting the, the right signals from, uh, from government on, you know, that, that will help us decide on where to invest. Because if you think about global, uh, global food security, it's not a, a particular single country issue. It's a global system, right? So to continue to bring uh, food in a deficit area as Asia Pacific. Asia Pacific is a large food producer, but is also the largest food importer. So, so to, to enable this uh, very efficient system, we need to be continuously investing in global supply chains. So some of the investments we would make 
in countries that are surplus food mm -hmm. are actually destined to the deficit countries. Right. So, uh, so it's, we need to look at this on a global basis. There has been a lot of talk of delinking, you know. There's also a lot of talk about so only friendly shoring or uh, near shoring. But of course, this is going to uh, bring a lot of turbulences to the global supply chain. So as a global company yourself, how do you see all these uh, rhetorics? Yes, I think we have to play to our comparative advantages. Uh, this is an old, an old principle, yes. old economic oh, principle. Yes. Uh, but I, I think the better, the best way for us to have a, uh, you know, to have food, a food security that is at its optimum, and it is not today because we know there's up to 800 million people a day that don't get enough calories. So we need as well to, you know, as, and as the population grows, we need to solve this problem, and we need to solve the problem of the, the population growth. And we have a growing middle, uh, middle uh, class around the world as well. So I think we, this is why we need the global trading system. I understand that we want to be sourcing locally and I respect that fully. I do some of that myself with my own family. But we do need the system to be able to maximize food production uh, and making sure that we play to our advantages. Especially when we have limited resources. Absolutely. Having said that though, my last question, uh, I want to ask you about the prospects. Um, because uh, now people mainly look at the next month, earliest uh, next year. but. As a business leader, how would you try to grab as much information, reliable as possible? And what sources do you need to go to in order to help you to make decisions and judgments? This is so crucial, yet so difficult these days. Yeah, we really think long term and we have full commitments of our shareholders to think long term. Right? Be performing in the short term, obviously, we need to be perform high performers, but we have the luxury to think a bit more long term, let's say, than other companies. So, it's a, I'd say in the world today, it's, it's never been complex. I've been in the industry for nearly well, for four decades, and it's never been as complex as that because we have uh, geopolitical issues, we have now the, the, the convergence of food climate issues, the con this is a big issue, the converges, convergence of food and energy yes. so there's a lot of uncertainty so we spend a lot of time thinking about it we have some directional thoughts uh, so we hope we're, we're we hope we're heading in the right direction when you can tell us about your directional thoughts to do update me about them <laughs> absolutely we will <laughs> it's such a pleasure seeing you robert thank all you all the best same here still to come a cat with an attitude Brilliantly brought to life in the drawn pages of homegrown artist Bai Cha. What makes his stories about cats and other animals so popular? Meet him up close and hear why. Zoom in on global affairs with insightful debates and exclusive interviews. This is World Insight. Welcome back. This is World Insight. I'm Tian Wei. Cats are popular, well-loved house pets. So looking at the world from a cat's point of view, have you ever imagined what your cat might be thinking about you? Young Chinese comic artist Dabai Cha is the carer of one special cat. His iconic comic creation, My Cat Hates Me, has long been a bestseller. What inspires his work? What are the real stories between him and his cats? On this and more, I talked to the winner of the Golden Dragon Award, the Galaxy Award, and the Nebula Award by Cha. I really like what is said. I like that you don't like what I do, but you can do nothing about it. 
very proud. So all of these were earlier works by Bai Cha. So cute, aren't they? I think after all of this, he has found himself in this image. Da 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 da. This is the one. Supreme Mole Cat Wu Huang. Finally, you have found him. 对，画了很多只，画了很多是草稿。Yes, I have drawn many cats, including many drafts and finished works. I believe cats should have a state that's exclusively theirs, which I've distilled down to tsundere. It's a certain aloofness and pride that sets them apart from other animals, especially dogs. When you're with a cat, they have an attitude like, "I'm the real master here. Don't bother me if it's not important." There's always a lot of play in their eyes, reflecting a depth of expression akin to that of humans. Whenever I gaze into a cat's eyes, I can't help but imagine what they might be saying. And adding dialogue to their gaze invariably brings a smile to my face. To me, they are not just pets; they are tundere friends. So it might seem like I'm illustrating, but it's actually reenacting scenes of interaction with my friends. The cat has their own, you know, ecosystem, their own world. 对，那很多时候它是 Indeed, often they don't need you to do anything. Just place the food, and they'll come when they need you. Can you keep the distance while at the same time being intimate? 我其实很多时候，如果我真的 Sometimes, when I really want to play with them, I ignore the distance. I enjoy their impatient look and always inspires me. Sometimes they get upset and might bite, but not really. They just nip at you as a gentle warning, as if saying, "You may not like me, but there's nothing you can do about it." This is one of the best quote ever. Because I treat him as a friend, when illustrating the book's title, it also reflects the relationship with a friend and intimate rapport we share, including our private chundere way of communicating. You got two cats, one dog, right? Cats come first, always. Let the two of them fight it out, but they get along well and rarely quarrel. They also have issues with our family dog, Bazahe. They have been accompanying you for eight years. 对，八年了。Considering that one dog year is equivalent to seven human years, so Basahe is actually over 50 years old in human terms. You were having them from the very beginning of your career, so they've been with you through the ups and downs for eight years already. 对，我我也觉得这件事情很有趣，就是我会回头翻翻这本书。Yes, I find it quite fascinating too. Looking back through the book, I'm reminded of the early days of adopting them. Over the seven or eight years, they've grown. I feel that in seven years, I've grown too, both in how I view things and how I manage relationships with friends. I've created an illustration where Supremo Cat and his frenemy, the proud but antagonistic Aoba, were deciding their paths. In the prequel to my first picture book, they were both strays and close companions. Until a divergence occurred when one decided to adopt a human, and the other to continue wandering. Despite their friction, they eventually reached a compromise, acknowledging their friendship and respecting each other's choices. In my story, they confront each other with different ideologies. 
the stray cat world's disdain for cohabitating with humans and supremacist desire for a peaceful life with a poop scooper who lives in a desirable school district. When Aoba asks why a school district, Suprema replies, because there are many primary school students there and I can steal their candy. I project small human world events onto my cat characters. Suprema says, as we part today, who knows when we'll meet again? Take this saying with you. A wanderer will always be a wanderer. That Suprema stance on wandering. Ayoba retorts, then I'll give you a saying. A human will always be a human. Think about that. This reflects how, when close friends diverge on their beliefs or life choices, they still offer advice to each other. But I think that, after all, you are not him and he's not you. Often, we can listen to our friends or to the advice of those around us, but when it comes to choosing our own path, we should still be firm in our decisions. One of the amazing things about you, Bai Cha, is that you have always been working on stories with them. I mean, now it's already the eighth year, right? Among these years, there were also difficult times and pleasant times. I just wonder how is that reflected here? In one of my books, possibly the fourth one, I illustrated a small story about a cat named Ayoba. In my series of stories, he's a cat who has suffered at the hands of humans and thus harbors a deep hatred for them. One day, he wanders through the city and finds it devoid of people, with all the windows shut tight. The very people he loathes, whom he wants to ridicule every time he sees them, even forming a small gang to spy on and steal fruit from them, are suddenly gone. At that moment, a torrent of thoughts overwhelms him. Walking on these empty city highways with not a soul in sight, he eventually encounters pandemic-controlled workers who give him water and bread. This leads him to a realization from a different perspective. Am I truly happy when humans are gone? Am I happy without someone to talk to, to argue with, or to have as a frenemy? As humans fall ill and the city grows sick, communication and interaction with humans informs him of their own vulnerabilities, and in critical times, humans even help them. After months in this quiet world, he realizes, I hate you, but I need you to live. It's a complex relationship, much like human connections. I attempt to portray that complexity. Yeah, I could tell you are putting so much into the Supreme Mole Cat. But when you're telling a story about you and your friends, when they were reading your book, did they notice? When I'm illustrating, I center the stories around a few main characters. Yes, this character is based on my father. My father looks somewhat like the character I draw in my books, a very stubborn old man. When the young boy first brings a cat home, the old man is quite resistant. He has a headstrong personality and usually has the final say at home. But when the cat arrives, it starts calling the shots, which doesn't sit well with him. I imagine that Supremo can emit a sort of charm wave with his eyes. 
a bling that makes people irresistibly fall in love with him. The stubborn old man who argued with the boy on the first day also becomes a devoted follower of the cat by the next, with all the milk and other items he bought for the boy now belonging to the cat. So I incorporate these observations to the stories considering the older generation, like our fathers, but might be more set in their ways, but can still be softened by the affection of a cat. At one point, when I was working on my third book, I hit a wall and couldn't continue drawing because I felt that I was merely retelling the stories of cats that resonated with my life. I could feel the bottleneck holding me back. But when a friend advised me not to see them just as cats or dogs, he pointed out, look at your stories. Haven't you noticed? You treat them as friends. Since art originates from life, but transcends it, you could create many stories based on their personalities in the animated world. They indeed have their own little universe in which the Prema and Bazahe, whom I've kept, as well as other animals in their world, all have their own intricate stories that I can tell. Sometimes these stories come so naturally that they seem to write themselves, born directly from the characters' personalities. It's not just about the characters in your book are increasing the number of them, but rather you have already discovered the different layers of society and they have all come to your heart rather than just one or two of them. Yes, I realized that just one cat and one dog couldn't convey all my thoughts, fully represent the friends I know, the people I meet, and all the emotion and events I see in the world. This led to the creation of many characters with different personalities. Initially, my idea was simple, to draw the relationship between me and my cat. But I soon discovered that the cat could speak for me on many matters. He needed a friend because the dialogue with humans alone might be one-sided. It would be better to have a conversation between two friends, adding friends with different personalities and experiences, and even different species, enrich the narrative. I've even drawn a turtle as a guest character, highlighting its patient and slow-moving traits. Together, all the characters can create a very diverse chemistry. You have 16 million fans already following you um, in the virtual world. So what is actually the relationship between them and your stories? I'm actually reminded of a line from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. When I hit a creative block, I would go to sales platforms to read fan comments, which sometimes moved me to tears. Fans, not knowing I would see their messages, would leave lengthy notes, including on my WeChat public account or TikTok account. They shared their personal experiences, telling me how they're gone through situations similar to those I depict in my stories about stray cats and dogs. They relate their academic struggles, pressures, or relationship issues. They turn to me for a listening ear. What do they confide? It's because they find that my stories are delicate and I can feel their emotions. Many parents also leave comments saying they bought the books for their children and increasingly purchases are made by parents for the kids. 
My early illustrations are very youth-oriented and casual in language, but starting with the third book, I began to polish my language, or at least think more carefully about how to phrase things more appropriately. I realized that with so many children reading, I needed to temper my expression. I found that if my audience is comprised largely of children, I must adjust my context accordingly. If they love the book so much, I also have a responsibility to convey more accurate and appropriate viewpoints within it. What's going to be your interesting relationship with Supremo Cat? I am in the midst of planning a movie, and I'm in talks with various platforms and institutions about it. Many things have been delayed for three years due to the pandemic. The story I'm working on now is set within the context of a small family drama, but if I were to make a movie, it would definitely be an adventure. They might team up to save stray cats, or the plot might involve finding homes for his stray cat friends, especially since stray cats struggle in the winter. It's a story that would unfold outside the confines of family rooms. I've developed some concepts, written some scripts. I am in the process of fine-tuning them with a film production company. I hope to see Supremo in his own feature film every year. Such a wonderful thing to be able to sit down here and talk to you. That's all we have for today. I'm Tian Wei. On behalf of the team, thanks for being with us. Thank you.